if this is the case, if this is what is what tongues is, and yeah. I'm sure there's a simple answer to this question. Why why are people so hesitant to like accept that? Hmm. And then the second one is if this is just so natural, this is so natural to mm-hmm. Christianity as it seems. Mm-hmm. How does how do people like get it? Well, everybody, it's time for our favorite topic, the Holy Spirit. After our podcast series on the Azusa Street Revival, we wanted to continue having conversations around the miraculous and the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so listen in this week as we delve into the gift of tongues. Well, welcome back to the Remind podcast. I'm Kyle. I'm Zach. And we're back together. We're in the same space. This is fun. I was hoping we would do this for this podcast. I, well, we have been in quarantine mode. So we were doing these recordings by Zoom. But as things are seeming to kind of step back toward normal, we decided to get back together. So last time we recorded, we had like an hour and a half long conversation on the Azusa Street Revival. And we broke that up into four episodes, and we just released the last one on, well, at the beginning of this week. So we're here to kind of have a follow-up conversation about that. But first, let's ask this. Zach, what have you been thinking about since our conversation with the Azusa Street Revival? The Azusa Street Revival was, it was, a new, it was new information to me, so I've never okay. heard about that. So that was, it was great just like historical context about where the Holy Spirit, uh, I don't know what I want to say. I was about to say where the Holy Spirit came from. Well, that's, <laughs> sure. Um, but like uh, where Pentecostalism came from, yep. it just gives a good background of understanding for a lot of our brothers and sisters who are more in that denomination or come from that denomination, just to see what their, I don't know, spiritual heritage is. Yeah. So, um, and then aside from that, I think that's actually a big, big piece, though, because it helps me. It would help us connect with those people better, and I think maybe even a lot of those people may not even know about the Azusa Street Revival themselves. I think unless you are steeped in Pentecostalism or went to a Bible college where Pentecostalism was emphasized, you're probably not going to be aware of that event. Yeah, and I think that would be. Not like a travesty or anything, but that's a that's a huge piece of what what those uh, Christians would believe in. Yeah. So I find it very important to and I and we aren't like a Pentecostal church. We are not because Pentecostal churches remember Pentecostal is like a denomination. Yeah. So that's like a proper noun. Right. Charismatic is like the adjective. So we have some charismatic tendencies. Right. So even so, for us, it's. I think equally important for us to understand where all of that kind of started in the United States. Yeah. So it just gives us that groundwork to build on rather than just reaching for higher and higher rungs of understanding about the Holy Spirit without first understanding where it came from. And I think it gives us a chance to avoid some of the pitfalls that they fell into in those early days. But of course, that podcast series kind of opens up some questions about the Holy Spirit. And so let's kind of get into that a little bit. Like what are some of the questions that we have 
from our experience of the Holy Spirit, as we heard about in the Azusa Street Revival. Yeah, I think the first thing that just, that leaves me wondering, at least, mm -hmm. is it's, the first thing that comes to my mind is tongues. Mm. I think that's, you know, before I became a, a disciple of Christ, I think I, I think I could say from my testimony that I've always been a believer. Sure. Um, I would, I would tell people that I was a Christian, but I think there's a, there's a, there's a moment in time, maybe about six years ago, where I decided to become a disciple. Right. And the one piece, like through all of that time, people would always get upset about with me, like, oh, you know, this church, that church, they pray in tongues, mm -hmm. they do stuff that right. we don't know what they're saying, and right. so therefore they must be a cult or something bad. So that is always a framework in my mind that I just don't understand because I've never spoken in tongues, prayed in tongues. It's not a, it's not, it's not something that I know about yet. There's so much power in the ministry in Azusa Street, and that mm -hmm. seems like it was so normal for them. Mm -hmm. It was like a requirement, essentially. Not even normal. It was like a, require, a requirement. To a certain degree, yeah. That's absolutely true. I think, well, I think when people respond negatively to tongues, they are responding in the way that people have always responded to tongues. So the first instance of that is in Acts chapter 2. It's at Pentecost. What the text says, this is Acts chapter 2. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven, like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. By the way, this is God marking off temple territory. So temple territory is always marked off by fire. So now instead of the temple being a place, it's, an, it's a people which is crazy. It's where God is choosing to dwell. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. Verse 5, at that time there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. When they heard the loud noise, everyone came running and they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. In Acts 2, Luke kind of names some of the people that are there. So Parthians, Medes, people from Mesopotamia, Cappadocia, Pontus, Libya, Cyrene, Rome, so a variety of languages being spoken, and when the Holy Spirit fell on those believers, they were able to speak in a language, an earthly language that would make sense to you if you were from Cappadocia, hmm. right? And so... So they weren't speaking... Gobbledygook. Yeah, okay, right. okay. They were I, speaking, I don't know what the language of Cappadocia is. They were speaking Cappadocian. <laughs> and the initial instance of tongues in the New Testament is the ability to proclaim the gospel to a person of another language or culture in their language, in their heart language, in the language of their birth. As we proceed further into the New Testament, we see tongues take on a different shape. I don't think that necessarily that means this passes away, but what we see is tongues become either a prayer language or a divine utterance in worship, this is 1 Corinthians 14, a divine utterance in worship that requires interpretation. So it's similar to prophecy, but it's spoken in another language. So in both cases though, like in like phase one of tongues, yes. the original, they were speaking in particular languages of the uh, hearers, the people that came to hear the gospel. Yes. 
to hear what they, they were saying. And then in, in phase two, essentially, later sure. on in the New Testament, can we, say, can we call it that? Phase Let's one? call it phase one, phase two. There's yeah. a nice little ring from Zach's computer. <laughs> this podcast is brought to you by Microsoft. <laughs> um, so in phase two, we'll call it. Okay. We start to get more of this divine utterance and prayer language. Yeah. In both cases, is it miraculous? Is it something that's given by the Holy Spirit? Like, in phase one, we're saying that Zach Byler back then would have just all of a sudden started speaking Cappadocian. That would have been miraculous. I've never studied or gone to a Cappadocian class. Yes. Few of us have. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and then in, like, in 2020, if all of a sudden Zach breaks out into a divine prayer language utterance, that would also be miraculous. Yeah. They are both what Paul says, what they are both what Paul calls gifts of the Spirit. They are a distribution of God's grace to a believer that lets us reveal something of the character of God for the building up of the body. And so, you know, in, here in Acts 2, the building up of the body was literally to increase the number of believers at the end of chapter two, because this incidence of tongues causes Peter to stand up and preach one of the first sermons. And at the end of that, it says those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day about 3000 in all. So it built up the body literally numerically, but a, a, a tongues, a message in public worship in tongues would also build up the body because it's going to reveal something about the character of God or about something that he has to say to us. And in a similar way, tongues in prayer, so a good place to find that in scripture is like Romans 8, in, where it says that the spirit intercedes with us with groanings too deep for words. Uh, you know, it's a building up of the body when I pray for someone and I don't know how to pray for them and I can kind of pray quietly, maybe inside my heart and tongues or uh, at another point like that, it's a gift because it's me building them up through prayer when I even lack the words to do so. And so they're, they're spiritual gifts and, and spiritual gifts of any kind, whether it's teaching or service or mercy or the prophetic or healing or tongues are, are, are a miracle because apart from the Holy Spirit, we can't do those things. It's God giving us a gift. So my mind is going in like two directions. Okay. One is, if this is the case, if this was what is what tongues is, and yeah. I'm sure there's a simple answer to this question, why why are people so hesitant to like accept that? Hmm. And then the second one is, if this is just so natural, this is so natural to mm -hmm. Christianity as it seems. Mm -hmm. How does how do people like get it? You know, how do people do it? Like if it's something, you know, right. to go back okay. to the Azusa Street, like this okay. is what they went out looking for people. Right. So remember that in the Azusa Street mission and in the Azusa Street revival, tongues were not a gift. They were an evidence. They were an evidence of God's work in your life, of a, of a, of a second work of grace. And so, of course, we wanted to create opportunities for people to find a way to pray in tongues. Uh, because it was evidence that God was working in their life. You want that evidence. 
And to this day, I mean, listen, when I was in middle school, we were going to a Pentecostal church. And I don't remember exactly what was said, but almost like an invitation from the front was made to like essentially go pray in tongues. So you kind of go into another room and someone kind of talks to you. And I remember kind of standing there just trying to kind of make up words with my mouth and not knowing what it was. And, and so I don't know if that's the best way for it to happen. I'm sure it's not the worst way. When we look in the New Testament, tongues seems to bubble up out of people kind of spontaneously. It doesn't seem to be something that we manufacture. Um, and so now in the last four years, about four years ago, I was in a time of kind of, like kind of quiet, actually silent meditation and prayer and felt the gift of tongues kind of bubble up out of me and God gave me a prayer language and I've been praying that way since. And in the last six months, the same thing happened to Steph, but we were not seeking it. We are not chasing it down. And if it's a gift, not everybody is given that gift. So we want to be careful not to make a gift a mark of maturity, right? It's available to everyone. That does not mean everyone has it. The gift of service is available to everyone. Not everybody has the gift of service. Now, the gift of service and the gift of tongues are different because we're all called to serve one another, right? Because Jesus served mm -hmm. others. Um, you know, it's different than the gift of evangelism. We're all called to evangelize, but some of us have a special gift in that. But, and, and that doesn't, and again, we're also not saying that tongues is given to a special few. We're just saying that that gift, it's just, it's available to everybody, but not everybody has it. So, you know, we don't want to go chasing gifts. We don't want to be chasing gifts. We want to be chasing the giver. And if that man, if in the chasing of the giver, we, it manifests in a gift of teaching, I want to celebrate that and fan that into flame just as much I want to fan into flame any other gift in our church. So that was the second question. The first question was, why is it like kind of ridiculed or treated with suspicion? Again, it's treated with suspicion because the very first instance, it's been treated with suspicion. And so if you look at, again, at Acts chapter 2, um, as all of these people are hearing their, the gospel proclaimed in their native tongues. The text says they stood there amazed and perplexed. What can this mean? They asked each other. But others in the crowd, this is Acts 2.13, others in the crowd ridiculed them saying, they're just drunk. So ridicule has always been met with tongues. And, or excuse me, tongues has always been met with ridicule, which is why Paul, even in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, where he's trying to give the Corinthian church some order to their what was at once appropriately spontaneous worship has now become this like hot mess express of competition and weirdness. And Paul kind of on the one hand says, you know, tongues are really good because they build up the body, but I don't, but Paul also essentially says, I don't know if you should be doing those in the most public gatherings because it's kind of off-putting to non-believers. I don't want us to become a place where we're doing something secretive but I think Paul's on to something. I mean, at Regen, let's talk about our culture for a minute. I think it's always good to back up and talk about our culture so that people know where we're coming from right. and where we're going to. Like real quick, like so we're sitting in a room. This was, this, we're in the sanctuary. Yes. This is not public space. Right now it's not because it's just you and me here. Okay, right. When I say public space, I'm talking Sunday morning gathering. Okay. Okay. So we're here in the public space, in the sanctuary, Sunday okay. morning gathering. It's the big kind of gathering of our family. Our Sunday morning gatherings, you know, a thousand years ago when we could still have them, are, are, they are our best evangelistic tool on some levels. Like more people tend to become part of our spiritual family by showing up on a Sunday morning 
than they do through other means. Or, you know, somebody's kind of working relationship brings them to the church and that kind of is part of the transformation process. And so I don't want us to distract from that. I want us to bear in mind, and again, I don't want us to flinch from the kind of ridicule that comes from following Jesus. Uh, that's part of it. But I think we can be wise. And, and I think it, and, and continuing this conversation about why is it ridiculed, it's ridiculed because it's, it is weird. It's weird to see somebody speaking in a different language. Mm. And I think it's easy to kind of associate that as like, oh, they've lost their minds or, oh, they've gone crazy. And that's not the case at all. What's actually the case is they're really experiencing the work of the Lord in their, in their lives. But that's, that's just an interesting thing to witness. And so I have compassion on people. We've had prayer nights here where we've pressed in a little more intentionally into Holy Spirit stuff than we would in the gathered space on Sunday morning because we're trying to leave the welcome mat out. We're trying to practice hospitality. Um, I think as our culture becomes more and more in touch with the supernatural, which is just what's going to start happening, um, I just have a suspicion. It may seem less off-putting then, but we want to kind of walk alongside our brothers and sisters who do have some reservations about that. Intentionally, we want to be guided by scripture, and so um, we're not trying to do things secretively but we are just trying to do things wisely and with with a heart of hospitality. Yeah, we're definitely not doing things secretively because on the other end of it, yeah, like if, if we've got the, you know, the, the spiritual temperature mm -hmm. really hot side, mm -hmm. on the other end, we're really cranking up the intensity on teaching. Yeah. So teaching is going to be the thing is that's going to move somebody along. Yeah. Um, so that they can become more, so something can become more accepted. Yeah. I mean, in our church is a spectrum. And on the one hand, you have cessationists. And cessationists are people who say sign gifts, like healing, miracles, tongues, prophecy, those kinds of things. Those are not for today. That they, the, geese ha, the, the, the gifts have ceased, is what cessationism means. And those are usually the... Um, inheritors of really the Protestant Reformation and then later fundamentalism. Uh, and so they tend to be a little skeptical toward these things. So we have those people in our church either who are committed cessationists or practicing cessationists, by which I mean they may say that the gifts are real, but maybe just not for them or not for our church. On the other end of that spectrum, we have the inheritors of the Holiness Pentecostal movement who at their worst are sens sensationalists who kind of, again, maybe some of us have a tendency to chase the giver, uh, the gift, not the giver. Let me rephrase that. On the other end of the spectrum, we have people who are the inheritors of the Holiness Pentecostal movement, and they are totally fine with this. And, so, and they, in, in fact, they in fact want to see us press further into Holy Spirit stuff. So I, I, I'm leading a church, we're leading a church, and I'm saying we because you're part of this too, that's trying to hold this together, right? So a few weeks, well, now, you know, four months ago, I think, you know, we had an experience where somebody was slain in the spirit in the back of the room. 
And then that week in staff meeting, it was like, you asked the question. You said, what is our responsibility to our body in this moment? How do we bring people together? And I think the way that we do that is insist on, is the way that we do that is by insisting on being a word and spirit church, not either or. We want to celebrate the cross and we want to celebrate Pentecost. We want to celebrate the gospel. We want to celebrate the Holy Spirit. And really, those two things go together really well. In fact, John Calvin would make all of these points about the word can't go where the Holy Spirit doesn't go. The Holy Spirit doesn't go where the word doesn't go. They work together. And so I want us as a church to increase our dependence on the Holy Spirit. I want us as a church to increase our familiarity with God's word. That's going to put everybody in a position of discomfort. Mm. It'll put everybody in a position. That's like, that's like putting somebody in like the greatest topsoil and like, like, that's what I'm stuff saying. Stuff that makes stuff grow, though, like discomfort eventually is going to ultimately turn into something. Exactly. And this is why we're going to start teaching through the book of Acts in July. Because what I want us to do is as we pursue dependence on the Holy Spirit, I want us to be grounded in the word. I missed an opportunity to say miracle grow right there, by the way. So there's, a, there's our second plug for our... <laughs> dun, dun. We should have a little like button that we click anytime there's like a like product named. Yeah, like we'll just send thing. it to them and see if we can get like, like a little, ten bucks back. Yeah, yeah. ten bucks. <laughs> That'll be good. Um, yeah, I mean, so I think that's the deal with tongues. And and let me let me just add this one part too. Let me go on the record and say, my goal is not that everyone in our church would pray or speak in tongues. My goal is that every person would walk in the fullness of who Jesus is, the fullness of His words, the fullness of His ways, and the fullness of His works. And if that manifests itself in a gift of tongues, I want us to deploy that for the betterment of our body. If that manifests itself in the gift of administration, well, boy, do we have stuff for you to do because when we're trying to like hold our church together, people with the, the gift of administration can be like the glue. People with the gift of service can be like the glue. We need that. And everybody in our church living exactly like Jesus lives or at least striving to that end, absolutely. Friends, thanks for listening to this episode of the Remind podcast. Over the next few episodes, we're just going to be exploring the gifts of the Holy Spirit, spiritual gifts, all sorts of that stuff. And we know there are always questions that come along with this. So cool new feature. You can leave us a voicemail by following the link in the show notes or the description in your podcast app. Leave us that voicemail and we will answer as many of those questions as we can in future episodes. Thanks for listening. Love you.